This audio presentation is brought to you by the Baptist Missionary Association Theological Seminary. The BMA Seminary provides accredited theological education for equipping God's people for Christ-centered service and leadership roles, with three online degrees available now. We are committed to the inerrancy and authority of Holy Scripture and to making disciples of Jesus Christ. For more information about the BMA Seminary and its online degree programs, Go to bmats.edu or call toll-free 800-259-5673. That's 800-259-5673. It truly is a blessing and an honor to be with you today. I'm very thankful for this opportunity. It wasn't that long I was sitting where you sit, and quite frankly, I felt a lot more comfortable there than I do here. Uh, but very thankful for the opportunity to be with you. Dr. Brand was a great friend of, of mine and of our family and uh, had the opportunity to serve with him on the Board of Trustees here for a couple of years, as Dr. Holmes mentioned, uh, and counted an honor to be able to uh, participate with you this week in the Brand Lectures. If you had shared with me back in 1999 and 2000 before I entered ministry the odyssey of events that would follow and lead to today, I probably would not have believed it. It truly has been a journey with God. And one of the things that I've come to appreciate over the years regarding BMA Seminary uh, is the investment that these men and women alike uh, make in this institution each and every day. And I've come to appreciate so much uh, the leadership of Dr. Holmes, Dr. Atterbury, all the professors here, faculty, staff, everyone, uh, truly is an investment in the greatest thing on the face of the earth, and that's people. Because Jesus was in the people business, and we're to be in the people business as well, are we not? I trust that you picked up a booklet as you came in. That will kind of serve as our guide through the lectures, the four lectures that we'll do, the two today, two on Thursday. So if you did not pick up one of those, I encourage you to go back and get one of those. And the first thing that I'd like to do is ask you to turn to the table of contents, and let's just take a quick uh, overview of, uh, of what we're going to be looking at uh, this week in the lecture series. Now, a caveat, there are a few formatting errors in that booklet, and I apologize for that. Uh, but nonetheless, I think you'll be able to follow along with me, and hopefully that will help you as you go through the lecture. This series we've titled A Game Plan for Life. and the four lectures that we'll look at, number one, the importance of planning. We're going to see in this first lecture that God is very intentional with what he does, that God has a plan, and we need to get in on it. In the second session this afternoon, we'll look at the tyranny of the urgent, and we'll see that what We'll ask the question, what do we do when life gets in the way? We have a plan, but then life happens. And how do we combat the tyranny of the urgent? In session three, we'll look at learning to invest our time. We'll find that with time, it's much like money. We can spend it, waste it, hoard it, or invest it. So how do we invest our time so that God can make a difference through our lives in the kingdom? And in the last session on Thursday afternoon, we'll look at a game plan for life. The fundamentals, if you, if you will, what I call the five F's. Faith, family, friends, finances, fitness. And a unique way that we've been discipling some men over the last few years. And we'll share a little bit about uh, how that we are doing that and engaging men in this discipleship process. 
But today, this morning, we look at session one, the importance of planning. I find that when it comes to planning, few people really have what I would call a game plan for life. Now, they may be able to tell you in general terms, this is what I'm doing with my life, but to have really set aside time to invest in thinking through a real game plan for life, few people that I've talked to have ever really done that. When it comes to planning, I find that some people are just quite lazy, to be honest. They breathe in, breathe out, recycle air. You've seen it. Eat, sleep, repeat, drifting through life. But not all people are that way. Matter of fact, a lot of people are very energetic about the way that they do life. But likewise, without a plan, all of that energy is like fighting fire each and every day of their lives. There's a sense of urgency with what they're doing, but they give little thought to the steps that they are taking. And thus, they become frustrated at life. Perhaps you've heard the story of the kindergarten teacher who had the little fellow who asked her to help him put his boots on, his cowboy boots. Remember those boots we had that you almost thought were impossible to get on? Well, those are the type he wore that day. And so feverishly, she, she worked with him to get the boots on. As she finished, he said, they're on the wrong feet. Sure enough, they were on the wrong feet. So she finally got them off. And then she pulled and she tugged and pushed and finally got them back on. At which time he said, these aren't my boots. <laughs> so once again, she worked to get them off. And finally, she got them off and he said, they're my brother's boots. And mama made me wear them today. So once again, she pushes and she pulls and she tugs and she finally gets the boots back on. Finally, she sighs and said, okay, where are your mittens? And he said, I stuffed them in the toes of my boots. <laughs> Have you ever felt like that? Just some days it took all the energy that you had and, and you were busy. It wasn't any, any lack of effort. You wanted to help, but you were just frustrated. And why were you frustrated? Because you had expended all of this energy and yet it didn't seem that it was in anything that really mattered. Your return on energy was, was quite low. Well, one reason I think that we face that is that we don't take time to stop and think through our steps. Think through what it is that God is intending for us to do with our lives and then funnel our energy into whatever that is. In your outline, do we have a spiritual foundation for the concept of planning or is it something we have taken from the secular business model and applied to our lives and churches? Now, let's define our terms. A plan is an intention or decision about what one is going to do. An intention or a decision about what you're going to do. Now, the question, does God honor the process of planning? We see replete throughout the scriptures that, yes, I believe and I would assert that God does honor the process of planning when it is based upon the principles and precepts of his word. In Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. The plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance. Four thoughts I want to share with you regarding planning this morning. Number one. Plan because it is biblical. Plan because it is biblical. God's word establishes the practice of strategic planning. And we see evidence of that in God's plan of creation. 
in Genesis chapter 1. God's plan of creation. When we think about what God did in Genesis 1-1, there is no English word that can accurately describe God's majestic plan of, of creation. It is absolutely magnificent. And as we think about trying to comprehend all that God did in Genesis 1-1, we start with the universe. And just to define our terms, going back to when we studied general science, the universe would be all space and everything contained within. Everything is the universe. A galaxy within the universe is a cluster of stars, a large group of stars contained at various places within the universe. Those that study astronomy have, have estimated that there are between 350 and 500 billion galaxies. Not stars, galaxies. Now our solar system, the sun and the eight planets that we are familiar with, is in the galaxy of the Milky Way. Now to put, try to put that in relative size, if the Milky Way galaxy were the size of the United States... Our solar system would be the size of a nickel. That is our solar system within the Milky Way galaxy of which there are an estimated 350 to 500 billion galaxies. Absolutely mind-boggling when you think about the creation of God and God's creation plan. Consider for a moment as we still try to comprehend that. If the sun were hollow, the sun could hold 1.3 million Earths. There is a single star by the name of Antares, if hollow, that could hold 64 million suns. There is a star in the constellation of Hercules, if hollow, that could hold 100 million stars the size of Antares. And that is not the largest star. And all of this is but a feeble attempt. A feeble attempt. To illustrate the magnitude of space and of a universe that contains as many stars in the sky as there are sands on the seashores of the world combined. And how did that happen? Was it just circumstance? No. God had a unique creation plan. And according to Psalm chapter 147 verse 4, our God has both named and numbered every star. An amazing God and an amazing creation plan. We also see it not only in God's amazing creation plan, but in God's plan of salvation. In Genesis chapter 15, he promised to Abraham a seed, and through that seed, the world would be blessed. And of course, Jesus was that seed. And all throughout Scripture, we see evidence of that scarlet bloodstained thread. In Genesis 15, he was the seed of the woman. In Exodus, the Passover lamb, Leviticus, our high priest, Deuteronomy, he is our prophet. Leviticus, he is, he is the, the, the fulfillment of that law that was to come. And on and on throughout scripture, we see evidence of that scarlet bloodstained red thread running through every single book in God's great plan of redemption. Yes, I believe that we should plan because there is evidence in God's word that God was a strategic planner. But there are also a number of leaders in Scripture who thought and acted strategically. Moses, for example, in Exodus chapter 18. You remember the story? His father-in-law Jethro arrives. And, and there's chaos. And Moses is saying, everybody's coming to me. He felt like that kindergarten teacher. 
He was frustrated at the end of the day. He was given a lot of energy and not making a lot of progress. And so Jethro advised him, look, Moses, you need to train some men. You need to appoint those over a thousand, some over a hundred, some over 50, some over 10. And you take care of only the difficult cases. Implement this plan. And he did. Then we see it in the life of Joshua in Joshua chapter six says, of course, God instructed Joshua to have his people march around the city one time for six days and then seven times on the seventh day. And Joshua followed this plan. And of course, they took the city of Jericho easily as God fought the battle. Then in Nehemiah, Nehemiah chapters two through four, we see Nehemiah's plan to rebuild the walls of the city of Jerusalem. And we see how that he assigned sections of the wall to different groups. And they had to work literally with a spear in one hand and a trial in the other. And yet, with that plan, they finished the city how soon? What? 52 days. They worked their plan. Then we see it in the New Testament with Paul. Paul chose key cities that served as beachheads for his ministry. And those cities were not just a place of ministry... Those cities were a base of ministry that Paul used to train men, to send them out, and to plant churches. And then, of course, we see the ultimate example in Jesus himself. A number of scripture references there, but in short, Jesus recruited leaders. He trained them, and then he sent them to the ends of the earth. Yes, we should plan because it is biblical, but we must understand Biblical planning differs from secular planning in two primary ways. First of all, biblical planning begins with God. Biblical planning begins with God. You've heard the statement, if you want to make God laugh, tell him your plans. Because planning doesn't begin with us, does it? We think it does a lot of times. But real planning, biblical planning, always begins with God. Here are just a few scripture references you can put in your notes if you like. James 4, 13 through 15. You who say today or tomorrow, we will do such and such. Instead, you ought to say, what? If the Lord wills, we will do such and such. It begins with him. And Proverbs 27, 1. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And Proverbs 19, 21. Many are the plans in a man's heart. In a man's heart. But it is the Lord's purpose that will prevail. So when it comes to planning, make no mistake about it, you and I are limited. But God is not. God sees the entire field. Paul says we look through a glass, how? Darkly. And can I tell you something? Clarity trumps fog every time. And clarity comes from God's Word. Clarity comes from God. Planning begins with God. I was raised in South Mississippi, about uh, eight miles from M.M. Roberts Stadium, where the University of Southern Mississippi Golden Eagles played football. And on Saturday night, I twisted my daddy's arm every time they had a home game to take me to watch the Golden Eagles play. And every once in a while, he'd take me. Now, he was a BMA preacher, so we didn't buy tickets. But what they would let you do then, this was back in the late 70s, is we could stand up on the hill until halftime. Now, you couldn't really see the game because they had a row of ligustrium bushes that that hid the field from where you were standing. But I I could climb up to the fence, and and there was a certain place, there was a hole in the ligustrium bushes, and I could see part of the end zone. 
That was it. All I could see was the end zone. But that's where I nestled until halftime because at halftime they opened the gates and you could go in for free. And so I would watch that game and as long as it was something happened in the end zone, I could see it. Otherwise, I just heard the roar of the, of the crowd. But man, at halftime, when we walked in, we would go up to the upper deck and you just see it all. It was a different perspective on the game, can I tell you? And God gives us a different perspective on our planning. God sees the whole field. We see through a glass darkly, Paul said. We see through a knot in the fence. We see through the ligustrum bushes. And we don't see very much. So when it comes to biblical planning, for us to really think that we can figure this thing out is arrogant. No, biblical planning always begins with God. We also see that biblical planning, point two, is a process led by the Holy Spirit as he enlightens us to his word. In Proverbs chapter 20, verse 24, a man's steps are from the Lord. How then can man know his way? It is through the intervention, through the ministry of the Holy Spirit that God leads us. But does God ever lead us to the Holy Spirit in a way that's contrary to his word? Absolutely not. A role of the Holy Spirit is to enlighten us to his word. And so we find that to know the will of God, we must know the word of God. When we know the word of God, we will know the will of God. And you've heard the saying, leaders are readers. And it's great to know that 95% of everything God wants us to do, we find in his word. That 5% where we just can't seem to find the specific answer, I think it's then the intervention of the Holy Spirit enlightens us to the principles of God's word to guide us. James Merritt describes vision as a God-given plan that he desires to become a man-made reality. A God-given plan that he desires to become a man-made reality. Again, it is God-given. Planning begins with God. Proverbs 29, 18, where there is no vision, the people perish. What does that mean? Where there is no divine revelation from God. Where there is no plan that God has given us. And there is a plan that God has given us. It's a matter of applying that plan. Getting in on that plan. Following that. Number three, as the Spirit works in conjunction with the Word, He guides us. And again, God never contradicts His Word. His Word, Psalm 119, 105, is a lamp unto our feet. It is a light unto our path. Now, the Holy Spirit can change our plans. We see evidence of that in Acts 8 with Philip, don't we? It was a great evangelistic revival going on and Yet the Holy Spirit changed his plan. So certainly the Holy Spirit can change our plans, but the Holy Spirit will never contradict the word of God. So first of all, understand we should plan because it is biblical. Number two, plan because life is short. Plan because life is short. We we don't have an endless amount of time. Scripture reminds us that life is short. Job describes life as a weaver's shuttle. In Job chapter 7, verse 6, with those rhythmic patterns of seconds and minutes and days and months and years and quickly life is over. James writes that life is a vapor in James 4.14 that appears for a little while and then it vanishes away. Being raised in South Mississippi, I always enjoyed during the summer going to Granny Crawley's house over in Marion County, Columbia, Mississippi. 
And Granny Crawley was a godly woman, lived to be 91 years old, lived, lived by herself. She was a widow for much of her life. A godly woman. If, if Granny Crawley had a vice, it was that she loved to watch soap operas, in particular one soap opera. And I can remember running through the den and seeing this resonant voice come on and, and this, this picture on the television. And that voice would say, as sands through the hourglass, so are the days of our lives. Yeah, life is short, isn't it? Life is short. Moses teaches us, therefore, that we should number our days according to Psalm chapter 90, verse 1. Number our days. And I, and I think implicitly we could say there, if we're to number our days, that means that we need to get serious about planning how to use our days to maximum capacity, for that is the thing that life is made of. And yet, how many of us have stopped back and planned to be intentional, to do everything we possibly can in this vapor of a life, in this weaver's shuttle of a life, as the sands go through the hourglass? Plan, because life is short. If we were to compare our age to quarters in a game, think about this. If you were from birth to 20 years old, that'd be the first quarter of life. If you're 21 to 40 years old, you're in the second quarter. If you're 41 to 60 years old, you're in the third quarter. If you're 61 to 80, you're in the fourth quarter. And if you're over 80, it's overtime. <laughs> we don't often think about life that way, though, do we? You know, in a game, what I was watching the NCAA men's championship last night. At the end of the game, what, what was the, the main thing they kept trying to do? Stop the clock. Stop the clock. Manage the clock. So they could, they could squeak out every point they possibly could. They wanted to manage that game clock. They didn't take their eye off the clock. That, that was a vital part of them trying to succeed. And yet in our life, what often happens? We just don't look at the clock. We just sort of aimlessly drift through life as if the clock is not ticking. And yet it is. And Job reminds us of that. And James reminds us of that. We should plan because life is short. And our life is but a dash on the timeline of eternity. I read a book a few years ago by Carrie Shook. And the thesis of the book is, what would you do if you had 30 days to live? Some of you have read that perhaps. What would you do if you only had 30 days to live? And I think Shook argues well in that book, you know what? None of us are promised 30 days to live. Matter of fact, there's not a doctor in the world that could promise you the next 12 hours. And our next breath is contingent upon the blessings of God because it begins with Him. And God's great gift to us is Jesus, but His second greatest gift to us is time and energy. Time and energy to do what He's called us to do. So God would not have to take our life. All he would have to do is stop giving us life. There are 1,440 minutes and 86,400 seconds in a day. And every single one is precious. You've heard the old adage, I'm just killing time. Yeah, it gives a new perspective to that, doesn't it? When we kill our time, we kill our lives. Alexander Wolcott said it well, there is no such thing as an unimportant day. And understand that one minute of planning saves three to four minutes in execution. Now, that's a pretty good return on energy. 
One minute of planning saves three to four minutes in execution. Plan. Because it's biblical. Plan because life is short. Thirdly, plan because very little happens without intentionality. Very little happens without intentionality. Now remember, a plan is an intention or decision about what one is going to do. You ever heard of the six P's? Those in our leadership and administration class, Vasquez and Stephen certainly have, but proper prior planning prevents poor performance. The six P's. Proper prior planning prevents poor performance. Now, when it comes to accomplishing great feats, or or small for that matter, it begins with being intentional. There's redundancy there to emphasize that we need to live with intentionality. Accomplishing feats, great or small, begins with being intentional. It's more important where we're going than how fast we get there. It's much more important where we're headed than how fast that we get there. It's like the pilot who came over and he said, I've got good news and bad news. The bad news is we're lost. The good news is we're making good time. Does that not describe a lot of our lives? And we're making great time. Where are we going? Is what we're living for worth Christ dying for? When we get where we're going, where will we be? Have we stopped to think about it? Have we stopped to seek God's Will stop to seek God's plan and how we can get in on that plan. Intentionality. Consider the fact that a captain of a ship would not leave the harbor without a chartered course. A contractor would not think of beginning work without a blueprint. A coach would not take the field without a game plan. And yet when it comes to life, we often give little thought to how we spend our time and we live unintentionally. You ever heard the statement, we need to pick up the compass before we pick up the calendar? Most of us probably have a day calendar, a day planner of some sort, but do we have a compass? Do we know where we're going so that every day we can fill that calendar and use our energy in the most productive way based upon where the compass is pointing? Or are we just going through life, drifting through life, on the treadmill of life, living with intentionality? When we live distracted, we play into Satan's hand. When we live distracted, we play into Satan's hand. I can think of no better way to try to illustrate that than with C.S. Lewis's book, The Screwtape Letters. In The Screwtape Letters, you've got the young nephew, Wormwood, who's being mentored by the demon, Screwtape. And Wormwood has this bright idea for this new young convert, how he can make him slide in his faith. What will we do? Let's just tell him there is no God. Let's tell him that the Bible is not true. And Screwtape says, wait a minute. They're not going to believe that. There's no way they're going to believe that. That, that. You're naive, Wormwood. Let me tell you what you do. Simply distract them. Simply distract them. 
Let them get caught up in the thick of thin things. Just let them drift through life without purpose. Just let them breathe in, breathe out, recycle air, eat, sleep, repeat. So they're not involved in the great commandment. They're not involved in the great commission. Let's just distract them. When we live unintentionally, whether we like to admit it or not, it happens. And the culprit behind it, I would argue, is Satan. The culprit behind our unintentionality is Satan. He knows he can't attack you with atheistic thoughts that there is no God. There's evidence of that. He knows he can't attack you by saying the word of God is not true. You know better. And so what does he do? He just distracts you. And it's very subtle. It's just a slow fade. We begin to think about retirement. We begin to think about comfort. We begin to think about what would make us happy. And we live unintentionally. It's been said nothing is more important than prayer, but we must pray and act. Remember as Augustine said, pray as though it all depended on God and work as though it all depended on you. I think that's a pretty good formula for life. We certainly recognize that it begins with God, that we're empowered by God. But we should live intentional lives, I would argue. Final point I want to share with you in this session as it relates to planning is that we should plan to prioritize the best things. Planning really is an exercise in prioritizing what is most important. When we talk about planning, that's really what we're talking about. It's simply learning to prioritize what is most important in our lives. Jim Collins made famous the statement, good is the enemy of great. And we do a lot of good things in the Christian life at the expense of the great things in the Christian life. And we'll talk about that in session three as we look at learning how to invest our time. But in Matthew 6, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and I'll take care of the details of life. Seek first the kingdom of God, learning to prioritize what is most important, the best things in life. And of course, that starts with God. Here's the, here's the challenge. Here's the rub. We live in lives that are inundated with busyness. I mean, you think about it right now. It's easy for your mind to drift to those assignments that are due and class this afternoon and a trip I've got to leave for tomorrow and things I've got to take care of with my wife and kids tonight. We just live busy lives, don't we? And it's easy to get caught up in the minutia of life. And I'm not saying those things are not important. They're very important. But what happens if we live unintentionally, if if we don't live life on purpose, we do a lot of good things at the expense of the best thing, and that's spending time with the Heavenly Father. If I could graph it here, if, if, we, if we had a bar chart, and, and this, this chart represented all the things that I have to do, it would go out the roof, wouldn't it? It'd like a chimney. All the things that I have to do in this, this bar. And if this bar represented the time that I have to do it, how high do you think it would be? 
while this one is out the roof, you know, th this one is way down here. So this is how much time that I have, and this is what I have to do. Now, th there's the rub. There's the debacle. Well, can I tell you this? It doesn't get any better. You're thinking, well, I'm in seminary. I'm pursuing my degree, and as soon as I'm out of seminary, this will come down and this will go up. No, 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 no. That will always be out the roof. Always. There is always more to get done than we have time to do it. So, as pastors and leaders and workers and as servants of God, it's not a matter of trying to whittle down how much there is to do. It's a matter of learning to prioritize what we should do. Because there will always be more to do than we can. But the best leaders, the best servants are those who are masters at prioritization. And that begins by abiding in Christ. We'll see this in this afternoon's session as we look at how, well, I don't want to, I don't want to give my, my hand on that. Stay tuned. All right. So learn to prioritize what is best. And that means that we've got to practice strategic neglect. Practice strategic neglect. Bill Hybels has written an article that's in Leadership Journal. It's in your references, but I thought he made a poignant statement in that. And he said, sitting down before God with a calendar and a submitted spirit is one of the holiest things you can do. Assuming you've got your compass right, of course. Learn to say no to non-value use of time. I would encourage you to read that article if you have an interest in, in that particular point. But learning to focus on what is most important and neglecting everything else is what we mean when we say strategic neglect. We cannot do everything there is to do. It is, it is impossible. And yet we try to, don't we? I certainly have. I've been there. I want to get everything done. And it leads to frustration and feeling like that kindergarten teacher thinking, I've given all the effort I have. And I'm just absolutely frustrated at the end of the day. We just can't get it all done. So we've got to learn to prioritize what is best. All right, in conclusion to this session, there is evidence in Scripture of God carrying out an intentional divine plan. As we study the Scriptures, 1 Corinthians 14.33 tells us that God is not the author of confusion. God is a God of order. I believe God is a planner, that he has a strategic divine plan. This, this life is short, and there is no time to waste. Job describes it as a weaver's shuttle. James describes it as a vapor. Therefore, may we understand the need to live on purpose with intentionality, pursuing God's best for our lives. I've heard Adrian Rogers say before, um, it's not about getting our will done on earth, but God's will done in heaven. That's what biblical planning is all about, getting in on what God is doing. And so how do we do that? Well, we give thought to our steps. Proverbs 24, verse 27, Solomon says, look, if you're going to build something, get everything ready, prepare in advance, and then do it. In other words, plan and then do it. Have you ever been guilty of, of having the, uh, the mindset, ready, fire, aim? Ready, fire, aim. That's the way we live life a lot of times, isn't it? And yet the Bible instructs us to prepare, to be intentional about the way that we walk. 
An intentional long-term perspective is the most accurate single predictor of success. Don't forget that. Whether we're talking about your education, financial planning, or life. An intentional long-term perspective is the most accurate single predictor of success. Now, you're in seminary now. Some of you have plans to go beyond and pursue your doctorate. If you have short-term plans right now, you're probably just going to drop out. You're probably just going to quit. It's like the old adage, begin with the end in mind. Have a long-term perspective and say, this is the, if this is the course that God has given me, this is the direction I feel God leading me to go, make every day contribute in a meaningful way toward that. Have a long-term perspective. With financial planning, uh, Dr. Holmes, you're, you're savvy with, with finances. If, if you've got a short-term mindset when it comes to financial planning, you're going to buy, you're going to sell, you're going to churn your account, and all you're going to do is pay fees and lose money. But if you keep a long-term perspective, understanding there will be ebbs and flows in the market, you're going to have long-term gains based upon history. A long-term perspective is a key to success. Now, when it comes to life, that long-term perspective is understanding that one day we'll stand before Jesus Christ at the judgment seat. Understanding that day and using reverse engineering to today to say, how should I live today? How should I plan to live today so that on that day I will hear, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Long-term perspective. Finally, what if we were to serve the Lord each day, planning that day out as if it were the day before vacation? The day before vacation. Would you not say that the day before vacation is the most productive day of your year I mean, I would argue that it is. Why? Because you are so intentional. You've got yourself a list, which is a plan. I mean, you know what you're going to accomplish. And buddy, you don't sleep in that day. You're up and you're at it. You start the day fast and you finish strong. And I mean, you're just marking them off one after another. What's next? What's next? You don't stop and watch TV. You are focused upon what you need to do because you know you're about to leave tomorrow. And, and, and there's, there's a grand trip waiting on the other side. What if we lived life like that? Well, what if we lived life with that sense of urgency, that realizing, you know what? Life is a vapor. Life is a weaver's show. My life is a dash on the timeline of eternity. And I'm going to be very intentional about what I do. And I'm going to prioritize the most important things and every single day I'm going to contribute toward that long-term vision that I have that God has given me so that when I stand before Jesus on the other side, that vacation we call eternity, it'll be a grand day. What if we lived every day that way? Instead of just eat, sleep, repeat, breathe in, breathe out, recycle air. It is important that we plan. Proverbs 21.5, once again, the plans of the diligent lead surely to abundance, but everyone who is hasty comes only to poverty. So, as we look ahead, hopefully today we see the importance of planning. That God was a planner, that it's biblical to plan, that life is short. 
that our, our life really is a dash on the timeline of eternity. That we need to prioritize the best things and live with intentionality. But even when we do that, life can get in the way. So this afternoon, we're going to look at how to combat the tyranny of the urgent when life gets in the way. Would you stand, please? Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this opportunity we have to come together as brothers and sisters in Christ in this capacity. And Father, I, I pray that today uh, we realize that you do have a divine plan and that it all begins with you, that you are sovereign and your will will be done. Lord, just help us to understand how to get in on it, what our role will be in your master plan. Help us to realize, Father, that life is short, that the game clock of life is ticking. Father, I pray that you will help us to live with intentionality, not distracted by Satan, but help us to prioritize what is truly important and to live with that long-term focus of understanding that one day we will stand before you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.